Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space and welcome to episode 139. My guest today is Tom Varghese. Tom is the Executive Medical Director of the Huntsman Cancer Institute, affiliated with the University of Utah. He is also a cardiothoracic surgeon. And Tom is one of those people that is sort of a nexus on social media. He's one of those people that information flows through. He's got lots of followers. He's dynamic. He's always kind of present and active. He's just one of those people that you want to follow. And when you do that, you realize this is an incredibly kind and incredibly thoughtful, funny, and wonderful ambassador for the profession of medicine. You will also find that he is an extraordinary leader, and he is doing tremendous work in changing the culture that exists in the profession of surgery. And most importantly, I would say right now, he is one of our real cornerstones of men who are working to drive gender equality in medicine in what is known as the he for she movement, hashtag he for she. I have learned a tremendous amount from Tom. It was a real pleasure to speak with him. You're going to learn a ton from him as well. He's also just got one of those laughs that's just worth a million dollars. Before we get to the conversation, please do check out the website for Explore the Space, www.explorethespaceshow. This is episode 139, so there's 138 other episodes in the archive. The content is evergreen. There's tons of great stuff in there that I think you'll enjoy. If you haven't looked in the archive, please do take a few minutes and look around. You'll see names and concepts that are familiar. You'll see names and concepts that you haven't seen before. It's all great stuff, and I would really encourage you to check it out. I am very active on social media. You can find me at ETS Show on Twitter at Explore the Space Show on Instagram. You can email me anytime, mark at explorethespaceshow.com, and the podcast Explore the Space is on all of your favorite platforms. Please do leave us a rating and a review. That is extraordinarily helpful. It's a great way to drive visibility for the show and to help other people who haven't found the show find it. Please take a couple of seconds. It really just takes a couple seconds to click that rate and review button and definitely subscribe because there is lots more good content coming. Tom Varghese is a treat. He's so much fun to talk with. This is a blast. You're going to really enjoy it. It's just a rollicking good time. We cover great content, great material, great information. Without further ado, Tom Varghese. Tom, welcome to Explore the Space. I'm really excited to have you. I've been I've been following you for, for many, many months, and it's great to connect. <laughs> You're very kind, Mark. No, feelings mutual. I, I'm a huge fan of your podcast, and uh, it, it just... Uh, I'm humbled to be included in your amazing uh, lineup of uh, interviews uh, for this year. So you are right out of the OR today. I'm, I'm excited. I'm, I, I'm a frustrated surgeon. I think I've said that before on the show, that <laughs> what surgeons do and the way the day works and just the whole approach to the professional life of a surgeon, I just, I've romanticized it so much in my mind. I, I don't know if this is a saving grace, Mark. It's never too late. I mean, we could always get you back in the training. So. <laughs> I'm not going back to training. That, I, I appreciate it and not a chance. <laughs> I miss it. I loved it. Where I went to medical school, I was at Baylor College of Medicine. And I mean, I was just every chance I had to be in the ED, in the recess room when I was a medical student, in the OR. I just loved it. I'm glad I chose the path that I chose. I love reading op notes. I love it. I kind of visualize it. I try. Oh, it's the best. So <laughs> commend, commendations to you for joining us after a day in the OR. 
No, no, deeply appreciate this opportunity. So actually, I want to start in the OR. And as you and I were kind of just talking before, that's actually where I'd like to start. Because for me, the reason that I wanted to connect with you in the first place is, as I've shared before, I've been active on social media for coming up on a year. And you're one of those people who, if we were to look at the sort of spoken wheel diagram of how our world connects, but how we connect with other people, I'll share with you. I've actually tried to emulate in a lot of ways, the way you do things, because I feel like you draw in great content, you amplify great content, you share your insights that are built on expertise and experience, but also just trying to be a decent human being. And so it's, I think it's given you a, a, a platform that that's got some decent size. Do, do you feel that way about the way, about how you do your social media work? Uh, it's, it's very kind of you to say, um, well, a lot of the things that you mentioned are what I hope to uh, achieve, or at least I strive for. Um, and you and I have been on social media long enough that it's so, it's an amazing uh, tool. It, there's, it's so easy to get your message out there, but it's so easy to become negative. <laughs> and yeah. I think that what we're trying to say is, hey, there's a lot of people who have problems in the world. There's a lot of human beings who make mistakes. I mean, if you're human, you make a mistake. But let's try to be a positive change. I, I think that that's what what I really love. And yeah. so obviously when I first started, um, you know, I joined uh, Twitter in 2013 and it was uh, right at the beginning of uh, we had created a campaign called Strong for Surgery, which is a quality program of the American College of Surgeons. So this is a campaign where we're trying to optimize patient health before elective surgery, you know, through checklists, implementation bundles. But we wanted to build an awareness campaign that was initially targeted at the Pacific Northwest and now is going across the country. That's the reason I started. Yeah. But then one of the things I quickly realized is it's so much bigger than just in a a health awareness campaign. You can do so many things with social media. You can get information from all over the world. You can network with people. You can build tribes. You can, uh, you know, join into social movements. You can talk politics. You can talk religion. I mean, there's so many different ways that you can go with social media, but it it just seemed to me that there's a lot of negative voices out there, you know? And, And I'm sitting there thinking, this is the best time in the history of mankind to be alive. I mean, look at all the amazing things that are going on in the world around us. It's an incredible world. Uh, I mean, you and I are not even in the same place right now, but you and I connected on social media and now we're having a conversation. I mean, this doesn't happen 20 years ago. For sure. I mean, 20 years ago, we'd have to be dependent on somebody having to mutually introduce us and somehow being geographically next to each other in the same room to have an informed conversation. But that's I, not what's happening in the world today. I totally agree with you. And now I want to embark on a journey of an analogy. And you'll tell me if we're overworking this one or not. But I want to – Sure. I, the things that you just described, good communication, getting ideas from different people, having kind of a sense of an objective and trying to get something done but doing it in a place where you're trying to be respectful, but also recognizing that sometimes things go really sideways, people can get really negative. Can we take that and apply that exact same descriptor to what you do in the operating room? 
you do big thoracic cases. So you're above the diaphragm and you're in the chest doing just crazy stuff. Can we, can we, (laughs) because, because I like to romanticize surgeons and I like to romanticize surgery. I feel like this is an analogy that, that makes sense that your approach to social media is an approach that a good, competent, thoughtful surgeon needs to take when they're operating, when they're in someone's chest in the OR. Is that fair? Um, yeah, I mean, I think there are some parallels. I mean, obviously, it's not an exact comparison, but no, there are some parallels. And I think that where it comes from, Mark, is a shift in the philosophy of what we know uh, makes for good surgical interventions and outcomes. What do I mean by that? When you and I were going into medical school or when we were an undergrad or when we were saying who were the larger-than-life figures in the world of medicine and surgery, let's be honest, they were highly intelligent individuals who broke down a lot of barriers. A lot of them were miserable human beings to be around. (laughs) This is a true statement. So you go and, you know, there's... uh, uh, there's a lot of stories about, I mean, you were at Baylor, so, you know, Michael DeBakey, right? Larger-than-life individual and a tremendous human being who's brought about a lot of great change and has saved thousands of lives. But there are some stories that you probably have heard and I probably have heard that you, it kind of makes you go and pause and go, um, yeah. Wow. No, I remember hearing those stories for the first time, and, and yeah, the response is always, wow. And obviously, we're trying to keep this as a positive conversation for your podcast, so we don't need to go down that no, but, uh, go down that, point- that rabbit hole. But I, I'm just saying that it, it was a different era, and, yeah. and maybe some of that bravada and that arrogance uh, was needed because so many people were dying that it was almost uh, you had to have an unbelievable faith in yourself to say that you know, normally a patient in this situation will die. I have to do something uh, my way or the highway. That's the way. That's the way we have to take care of this. That's not exactly the case nowadays. Yeah. We we've done a lot of great changes over the years. You know, think about it. You know, thirty years ago, an operation, your chance of dying with some of these operations were, you know. Probably one in ten or two in ten. Now you're talking about mortality rates that are less than one percent. I mean, it's a tremendous progress yeah. that we've made over the decades. But what that means is now we're shifting, meaning that it's not just enough to say I'm not going to kill the patient. Now it's saying that hey, not only are we going to get you through the surgical intervention, let you recover, we're on the back end now trying to get you to live a life even better than you were coming in. You know, that's a different paradigm shift. And if you're really aiming for something like that, it can't be just you by yourself. You have to work with the team. And I think that that Uh, team care concept is what's coming. Um, And so that's where I would say that when you were saying the parallels with social media, I really do believe that, you know, the effective social media participation or effective social media awareness or campaigns are all about people trying to build teams or tribes and trying to learn from each other. Now, granted, there are still some people who look for the number of followers they have and they're aiming to get that blue check mark and, you know, they want to get tweets that go viral. That's what they're aiming for. I get it. Um, But if you're really talking about lasting impact, it's not the number of followers. It's not the number of tweets or retweets. It's, you know, what are you doing to enact change? 
And is that change sustainable? That's what we should be aiming for. I like that what you're defining to me sounds like you're always looking to create the right culture, whether it's in your social media milieu. I would imagine that when you're in the operating room, especially even more so when times are tense and when the case maybe isn't going the way you want it to go, or there's a delay or, or any of the myriad number of things that can happen. I would imagine that you are very thoughtful and deliberate about maintaining shared understanding of what culture is supposed to look like, what behavior is supposed to look like, what expectations are supposed to look like. Do you try to inform that as you're working on all of the different teams that you're working on? And now obviously with your huge administrative portfolio and your leadership work and your speaking, do you have the sort of central tenets that inform all of that? Yeah. It's a great, wow. Your questions are <laughs> out of this world, Mark. I, I, that's what I aim for. I, yeah. I mean, I, I think that, um, so there, there's a couple of philosophies you have to think about. If you walk into any room in any sphere of your life and you walk in and say that you have all the answers and you're the smartest person, Whatever effort you're working on, that's dead in the water before you even start. Wow. And why do I say that? Because if you truly believe that you're the only person that has all the answers, that means that your mind is not open to anything else. And in the operating room, yes, there are certain surgical principles and foundational, but, you know, anatomy doesn't change. The patient's anatomy is what the patient's anatomy is, right? I mean, you're saying, well, there's a branch coming off the pulmonary artery. Well, there's a branch coming off the pulmonary artery. You can debate about it, but there's that branch coming off. (laughs) It's there. There's blood in it. Now, you could talk about, hey, let me say about dissecting around the pulmonary artery. Do I come from the front? Do I come from the side? Do do I come from behind? I could listen to you talk about that all day. I could absolutely listen to that debate all day long. (laughs) Exactly. But that's where you have to be open to different techniques. So what do I mean by different techniques? So I, the vast majority of uh, cases I do are thoracic cancer cases. I'm a minimally invasive surgery surgeon, um, and about 85% of the cases I do are minimally invasive. But even in the world of minimally invasive surgery, we're changing. You know, we're changing from video-assisted thoracoscopic surgery, small incision scopes, cameras, and instruments, to is there utilization for a robot, a da Vinci robot, uh, or other robots that are coming out of the market right now. Uh, and even in the robot technology, that's evolving as well. And so if you're stuck in a mindset that I have all the answers, this is the way, same way, I'm never going to change the way I'm going to do do it, ultimately the, the person who suffers is your patient because your patient is not getting that best care each and every single time. And I would hope you and I and all of our listeners are not the same individuals that they were a year ago, five years ago, 10 years ago. That'd be kind of sad if they still were the same individual. You would be hoping that they'd be learning from the world around them, that they're growing, that they're connecting with other individuals. Uh, You know, I think your term that you love, uh, the two terms I've heard from your podcast that you've said, that growth mindset and being pluripotent. Yeah, You know, it's... That's what you have to aim for. Yeah, I agree. But it can't happen unless you have an open mind. Right. It's interesting too, and it's not even interesting. It's important. If we were to think about how medicine is represented in the pop culture, in the broader mindset in the United States, I might suggest that the 
apex of the hubris pyramid would be the surgeon. But what you just said flies in. I'm laughing. And the reason I'm laughing is not just the surgeon, my specialty, cardiothoracic surgery. Remember, you know why? You know whose fault it is? It's Alec Baldwin's fault. Um, I just blanked on the name of the movie, but he had that great. Oh, yeah. Where I am God, God. right? (laughs) I I know exactly. I can picture that in the movie. (laughs) Totally. We're going to have to find a clip on YouTube and put that in the show. Yeah. Actually, when you release this podcast, if you you get the, the link in your show notes to the clip, that'd be fantastic i'm gonna find it for sure it's a, it's a famous thing and like that informed a generation's view of thoracic surgery and now we have you right you are like let's be fair and you you can be self-effacing if you want but i'm going to say it. you are a national leader in the world of thoracic surgery and so you are now telling us from experience from best practice from what you've learned and from you how you've been mentored and how you mentor that when you walk into that room you don't get to walk into the room being alec baldwin saying i'm god you walk into that room saying, all right, teammates, this, here, here are the principles, here's the practices. There might be times where there's tension, and that's okay, but we're going to work as a team and we're going to function as a high-functioning engine as opposed to just me pushing on the gas pedal. Correct. I mean, I think that there's a, it's a fine line that we walk. Yeah. Yes, you have to have unbelievable faith in your skills, uh, and it's not just faith. You need to know. You know, the great surgeons, the great physicians in our world, how do they get better? They know their outcomes. They critically assess every single thing that they do. They're always striving to get better. Uh, and they're the harshest critics on themselves. So, yes, I, you know, the Alec Baldwin, I am God type of thing. Yes, there is a certain bravado. But there's, it's got to be that confidence coupled with humility. And the humility is... Sometimes, despite your best efforts and the most amazing techniques and the unbelievable multidisciplinary plan that you had, you have bad outcomes. Yeah. And what you've got to do is be able to step back and say, you know, this is not a good day. And ultimately, you know, this patient didn't get that best outcome. But you've got to be critical enough to say, what could I have done uh, better? What, could my, uh, what, what are the steps that my team could have done to do better? What can we do to learn from this so that we benefit the next patient? That's the fine line that I think that a lot of people don't appreciate because in the movies and the TV shows, you just see the arrogant surgeons, but you don't see that self-reflective process. You don't see that aspect of, you know, going through different things. You know, one of the small things I do is I, you know, I'm a visual person, so what I like to do is, uh, you know, when I am at that scrub sink, you know, what I typically do is, you know, uh, I, I am a man of faith, so I, I say a small prayer, and then I visualize all the things that could be going in that operating room, what are the good steps, and I also visualize what are the strategies I, I'll do if things go wrong. You know, I try to anticipate that before I even w- walk into the operating room. You know, that's my self-process of trying to get ready for a case. Uh, and, you know, a lot of it now, you know, many decades later is informed from personal experience. But that's the process I think uh, you have to be able to go for. And when you walk in, this is the amazing thing, Mark. The great people will always be seeking to learn from every single person that's there. So if you think about 
all the team members that are in the operating room. There's a surgical team. There's usually an attending surgeon. You know, I, I'm a program director of our, our, our fellowship, so I have a fellow. There's usually general surgery residents. There's medical students. There may be undergrad students who are coming to, you know, to observe and just, uh, you know, learn about our field a little bit. That's just a surgical team. Now you've got the anesthesia team and attending. Could be a CRNA. Uh, you know, there could be uh, residents there. There's often a circulating nurse. There's a scrub tech. But there's also other people. Who's who are the people who prepare the instruments for that case? Yeah. Who are the people who came in and cleaned the room before the case got started? Who are the people, the engineers, who make sure that the lighting is okay so that you can actually see what the heck is going on? I, there's so many people that are involved in the conduct and the safe delivery of one surgical intervention. And it, it, your job is to really learn from everybody. So if, if one of the engineers comes to me and says, hey, you know, lighting is not quite off. Just give me some time to fix it. Your answer is not getting pissed at that engineer. Your answer is, <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Because you're doing something that's going to help our patient. And that's the thing. You've got to understand and realize. And you know this. I mean, you're you're in administration yourself, right? I mean, you build practices. You recruit physicians. You know this. I mean, it's it's not the individual person. It's the team. It's the culture. It's the hospital setting. That's right. It's the patients. And ultimately, it's about that. All of this. I think that the thing that we all appreciate, uh, or I would like to believe, is I, I can't think of a single person who goes into healthcare without that firm belief that it's the best way to help your fellow human being. That's the reason why all of us go into healthcare. And if you believe that, then you know that everybody you're surrounded by has inherent good in them. So why don't we appreciate all the good and try to you know work together? So this is a really important question, and it segues into another one of the things that you do that I have that I that I think is the right work that I hold in very high esteem. I try to emulate not just because I want to be like you, but because it is the right thing to do and it fits my mindset, is that in terms of creating these teams and in terms of making sure everyone knows where they stand, you're not just a leader in creating high-performing surgical teams. You are one of our great representatives of men in the practice of medicine who are recognizing that our female colleagues are not being treated fairly. And let's just put that right out there. We don't need to mince words. That there are real issues of gender bias in our profession. You're one of those people who pushes from the moment I kind of first virtually met you. You and I had a phone conversation at, you know, at one point last fall. You're pushing on this really hard. And it's clear that there's a fire in you that not everybody has yet for any number of reasons. And that's what we're trying to move people through. Where does that come from for you? Where did that start for you to say, this is wrong. I'm going to be one of the people that is going to work really hard. And it's probably going to end up being one of the cornerstones of my career. I want to try to make this better. Yeah. Great question. So, um, a couple of different things. Uh, you know, I have an amazing family. I have incredible parents, um, you know, uh, incredible wife, amazing kids. You know, and so when I was growing up, I always thought, you know, here are people, no matter what their struggles were, my parents uh, 
who always wanted to make a better world for their kids. You know, it, it starts there, and all of us have that. And then when you start thinking about going forward, we have big issues and big things that we need to take care of. It's astounding of all the issues that we have around us. We're in the greatest nation in the in the history of mankind. Correct? I mean, I, there's there's no real doubt. I mean, there's one superpower. That's us. That's fair. Yet we have rising maternal uh, mortality rates. Yes. Uh, we have um, huge disparities in care. We have uh, a, a growing, ever-growing homeless rate. Um, you know, the number one reason for people to go uh, financially broke is as a result of health care bills. I mean, there are big problems that we need to take care of. But we can't get to that because we're getting sidetracked because of what I like to call uh, issues that are holding us back. And what are those issues? We do not treat the people who want to do this noble work well. Correct? I mean, it it doesn't make any sense. You know, why are we rewarding mediocrity? (laughs) <laughs> why is it that it's why yeah. shouldn't why can't you you are the head of an organization why shouldn't there be salary transparency here's what we're paying everybody and this is the reason why we're paying everybody and if there's two people doing the exact same work and they're the exact same station or you know step in the ladder of a hierarchy we pay them the same that's not earth-shattering things that's the right thing to do right why is there not a culture of accountability why is there not that when you walk into an organization that we, or as a new attending or a new resident, we tell you on day one, hey, we want you to, to succeed. These are the metrics that we're going to measure. If you do this, we will reward you. Why not be completely transparent about this? I, it doesn't make any sense. You and I have heard the term hidden curriculum. It is the stupidest term I have ever heard in my life. Why are you hiding anything? Yeah. Tell people about it. I mean, just, hey, you're a student. Here, this is all the information you need to learn. And if you learn this information, you'll do great on this assessment. And we'll go forward from there. You know, you have board certification. The goal should be 100% pass on the board certification uh, test. Why? Because that means that you've trained people well. You've taught them the knowledge so that they can get through there. And if it's not, that means that there's something wrong, either in your training or your selection of the people, whatever it is, there's something wrong if you're not getting 100%. So we have to fix all of this, Mark, because if we don't fix this, we can't tackle the big issues. And I think that all of us, I believe, are trying to build a better world. That's my hope. We're trying to build a world that's much better and that if any of us have been aggrieved or if any of us have had terrible things foisted on this, we want to make sure that that doesn't happen to anybody else. That's my hope. Now, you know, obviously I'm a man, but I'm, you know, I'm a minority. Have I had racism throughout, you know, do I have faced racism in my life? Yes. But has it been as bad as some of my African-American colleagues? Of course not. You know, <laughs> so, but whatever it is, why don't we change that so that doesn't become an issue ever again? That's why this work is important. We have to make sure that we create the world where everybody is heard 
everybody has value. We embrace everybody. Um, and, and we need to keep those efforts going forward. That is well said. Uh, I, I won't try to follow up on that because everything that you just put together there fits with what we're, what I'm trying to do as well. And I would suggest many people are trying to do, or many people are learning about for the first time. And I'll submit that one of my steepest growth curves over the last year has been from people that I've met through social media and had on the podcast who have shared their stories. And for me, it's been really, really profound because like you said, right, you wouldn't have met these people otherwise. And it would have, we would have all just sort of been in our own little world. And so we would have been in our own little silos, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and there's so, another problem, you know, totally. healthcare is siloed. <laughs> That's absolutely right. Yeah. And so figuring out how to change that is really important. Do you feel like it's work that, where do you feel like we are on the path? It's a long journey. Are we just starting? Are we halfway? I, I you know, I think that we've made some good initial progress. Okay. Um, and what do I mean by that? I think, you know, the hashtag he for she, yeah. where, you know, that was a nice first step call to action. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, being woke, whatever the heck that means. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, you know, I, I think that's good. Uh, you know, the, the amazing U S women's soccer team that, you know, really called the attention and say, Hey, here's one of the most elite teams in the history of soccer. And yet they're getting paid less than our men's team who, you know, God bless them. They're trying, but they're nowhere near the same caliber as a women's team. And so, you know, it's a, it's a good time. Things are coming to the forefront. I would now say we they are, but start... I would still say that there is, we're still in that, we're still in like an informing phase where there are still people who sure. aren't even aware that this is on the table or, maybe feel like they're too far down the road in their career and they don't want to change or they're just entering the career and maybe don't have the right mentors or things like that. Like we really need, like you said so eloquently, we need to move away from a hidden curriculum and these things need to be transparent. That's one of the reasons. We I, need to be transparent. Yeah, it needs Correct. to be like this uh, is the way it works and the, the, and we, we, we pride ourselves on principles of basic fairness and here's what that means if you're going to be a part of this shop. Yeah, you know, um, one of my favorite books I ever uh, read was uh, Robert Fulgham's book, uh, you know, Everything I Learned in Life, I, you know, I learned in kindergarten. Yeah. <laughs> it's an old book for the, the listeners. You know, it's, and there's a small book about, you know, playing in the sandbox, you know, uh, a small for, a chapter about playing in the sandbox. And what does that mean? Well, you know, the sandbox, you know, playground is, it's not your sandbox. <laughs> You know, it's meant to be shared and enjoyed by everybody around you. It's it's kind of the same kind of concepts. I mean, some of these concepts are not that novel per right. se. It's just right. it's hard to do. So I agree with you. There are some people who, and m many of us men, myself included, we're still learning this. That's right. You know, when you start talking to um, you know friends of yours or women in your life, and you start reaching out or you start listening to the stories. Let's be honest. Some of the stories are appalling. Um, I don't think I've ever had to be. But they're appalling. <laughs> they're awful. Yeah, I, they're awful. I mean, I don't think I've ever needed to worry about, you know, somebody, you know, uh, sexually assaulting me when I go for a, a C-suite meeting ever in my life. No, 
I know. Uh, it, but <laughs> we've heard stories. Yeah. And so I, I, it, these are the type of things that, uh, you know, we have to get rid of. Yeah. You know, there has to be zero tolerance policies. I don't care if you've generated millions of dollars for this healthcare system. If you do something egregious, it's unacceptable. You're gone. Yeah. Um, you know, there's got to be things that, but again, you know, when we talk about the transparency and accountability, we put everything out there. Um, you know, somebody once told me that the military sometimes says, that, you know, when they're trying to embark on something, first thing they say is, well, we don't know what the answers are, but we're just going to methodically put all the rules out there. And then, you know, as we learn, we'll, we'll, we'll keep doing that. And now, maybe the military is a bad analogy because they've had their own sexual assault issues and everything in the military as well. But I'm just saying in terms of the framework of trying to enact change. Um, I don't think there's any industry that can claim to be like 100% immune. And I may be wrong, but certainly sure. there's still hopefully some best practices that we can learn. Do you meet resistance when you're trying to deploy this as a surgeon? As you know, we, we kind of joked about, right, the, the hubris of the thoracic surgeon in this male dominated field as an administrator, when you're going out, you speak nationally on topics like this. Do you meet with resistance or do you feel like the roads are clearing? No, absolutely. Anytime you are trying to make a change in any type of system, inevitably the system fights back. You will get <laughs> yeah, resistance. Yeah. Uh, it's just, it just, it doesn't matter what the heck change you're trying to do. Anytime you try to initiate change, somebody's going to push back or somebody's going to fight back. Of course, you know, comments I've heard, you know, the snide com uh, comments, Tom just wants to hang out with a bunch of women. Or, oh, Tom's just trying to use this as a mechanism to get famous. Or, you know, the, the laughable one was somebody said that, oh, Tom's just getting involved in the women's organization because he wants to be president of that women's organization. I mean, think about that comment. Wow. And you've <laughs> yeah, heard, yeah. like, these have been directed to you. Yeah, I know. And then people will say it to my face. They'll direct message me on social media, you know, the side. Uh, it's, it's, you know, what you got to do is draw out the noise. Uh, you just got to go and say, you know, if those are individuals that you normally would not be going to to get advice from, well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you're not going to be listening to them now when they say negative things. Yeah, yeah that's a good point. <laughs> And now, but, but there's other people who are naturally wary and skeptical. Yeah. You know, they'll say things like, oh, well, Tom, you can't do that. You know, somebody's going to lob a, a false accusation against you. And you sit there and look at them and like, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> you know, if, if your life is going to be about fear, you're worried about something, that, and that's the reason that's going to prevent you from doing positive change. You know, that's not a life worth leading. Yeah. So, yeah, but of course. I mean, heck, I'm sure you've heard negative criticism about launching your podcast. I can only imagine, because you were one of the early advocates or the early pioneers, in the, uh, at least in the healthcare field, for podcasts. My gut instinct is, Mark, is somebody probably told you and said, oh, what a waste of time. What are you doing? You know, or, or somebody on the other side, oh, this is just Mark trying to get famous. I'm sure you've heard every single insult that is out there I have, over the years. I have, but you know, <laughs> I, I, I'll be to be fair. They're not, they're not as biting as what you're describing, and and I think that, I guess my hope is that you are able to continue to drown that out and not be stopped by it. 
Because I also know yeah, that you, you're, you put your money where your mouth is, right? It's not that you're on social media. You take the stage where people can come and see you speak and it is streamed live and it is retweeted. Like you, you stand behind <laughs> this and you're going to do that a lot I, later this uh, year. Correct. And, and I think that I'm also very fortunate that I, I'm in a position where, um, you know, I have stability in my life so I can do these type yeah, of things. So yeah. What do I mean by that? I'm not early on in my career where, you know, I'm trying to establish myself as a surgeon or as an academic person or anything like, you know, I have years behind me. And so I, I, mean, I, I fully acknowledge that it's, it's a lot of, you know, I wouldn't say easier, but it's, uh, and not as challenging to do this now in my point in career as compared to like if I was only one or two years out from training and then I, if I want to get involved in this, I think that's a much more harder road to do because there you and I both know this for any field in, in, in the, uh, the house of medicine, those first couple of years out as an attending, those are the hardest years in terms of transition. But first couple of years, wow. They're tough. <laughs> but I want to be very clear about what you're describing. You're describing getting out on the stage and traveling. You're not saying, which is true, and I agree with that, that when you're first starting out, perhaps being as, as you know, getting the Invisible. keynotes, you're yeah. not probably going to get them. But early on in your career, you absolutely need to adhere to standards of behavior, conduct, and, and ethics. And I think that that's where we're trying to get is that it is – clear and transparent exactly what those are so that 10 years down the road, it's not one or two people that are being sought after to give keynotes or to speak or to go to con that we've got a generation that now understands this is what our profession is supposed to look like so that every team functions like the OR team that you described at the beginning of this show. Yeah, no, I, I, absolutely. And that's the goal to get to that point. I also think that um, I've always admired People who, no matter what they've gone through in their lives, that they are able to rise above that and create something positive. Yeah. So I'll give you an example. Dr. Patricia Newman, who's the founder of the Association of Women Surgeons, just one of the most genuinely decent human beings uh, I've ever met in my life. Now think about it. When she's coming up the ranks, you know, she was the first woman everything. First woman person in her medical class, first woman trainee, first woman attending. She goes to a national surgical meeting and she looks around and she's like, wow, uh, you know, I'm surrounded by men. And she could have been bitter or she could have, you know, tried to, I'm only going to focus on myself. Instead of what she does, she's like, well, you know what? Let me create just an organization, like a breakfast club type of thing, where we can just get talented people together and talk to each other and share best practices. That's what she started with. Yeah. Now look at what the Association of Women Surgeons are. It's, it's, you know, think about that. Yeah. You know, Dr. Julie Fleischlag, who's the CEO of Wake Forest University, you know, the first woman chair ever at Hopkins. Uh, you know, it could be so easy to be pissed off at the world and, you know, you've had injustices, uh, you know, lobbed at you despite all your accomplishments. But instead of that, you meet Dr. Freischlag and she's the happiest person that you'll ever meet. She's always, I mean, even when I, you know, I get the rare opportunities to connect with her, it'll be like maybe five or ten minute conversations. I always come from that conversation, you know, feeling great about myself. Wow. You know, my boss. 
over here, Dr. Mary Beckerley, who's the CEO of the Huntsman Cancer Institute. You know, one of you know the Huntsman Cancer Institute for our listeners. Uh, it's an incredible journey what we've done here in Salt Lake City or the University of Utah. The Huntsman Cancer Institute only came around into existence in 2007, and in 12 years we have an NCI comprehensive designated cancer institute that is at the cutting edge of clinical trials. I mean, think about that. And she's my boss. She's my CEO. When I get an opportunity to have a 10 or 15 minute conversation from, with her, I always come away, you know, re-energized, focused. Uh, it, it's incredible. These are amazing human beings. And I think that that's what I'm hoping, Mark, that we're all trying to emulate. That is, is that no matter what difficulties or hardships that we've faced in our lives, we learn from them, but we say, you know what, that wasn't fair. Let's make sure that we create the circumstances so that nobody else has to go through what we went through. Let's make it better for the people coming up behind us. I love Isn't the way that you a remarkable this. thing? Yeah, I love the way you phrase this. And I also have tremendous respect for the way that you do get out there and put your money where your mouth is. You have a couple coming up later this year. Tell us where they. Tell us where you're going to be in the fall. So if people want to attend these conferences, they can. But also, sure. we know I, that we'll I mean, be live tweeting, and we'll have links in the show notes as well. Absolutely. I mean, and these are uh, unbelievable opportunities. I'm and incredibly grateful to the organizers uh, for these, uh, you know, platforms. So on uh, September 20th and uh, 21st in uh, Chicago, uh, it's being uh, hosted at the Drake Hotel in Chicago, is uh, an incredible summit called the Women in Medicine Summit. And what the organizers there have uh, brought together, um, the the leading um, women physicians across all the different specialties are all being brought together to share best practices, to help raise awareness of different types of issues, uh, uh, for, to try to build efforts in gender equality, both at the local and national level. And where I've uh, gotten the opportunity is, is that there is a panel session uh, where they've invited myself and other, uh, you know, he or she champions like, uh, you know, Dr. Michael Sinna in Boston and Dr. Howard Liu in Nebraska. Uh, you know, several of us are on the stage. Uh, you know, Dr. Julie Silver, who's the keynote in the morning, she's also going to be joining us for the panel. And really, we're just going to be talking about what are different things that we can do on both the local and national levels in terms of raising awareness of how men can become allies in these efforts, some of the tips and tricks that all of us have individually have done. And we're actually going to be pitching things out to the audience to get their feedback um, as well. It's, it's what I like to call a learning network. Uh, if that makes sense. That is, we're not, none of us are coming in saying that we're the only content expert. We're just sharing our experiences and we're going forward from there. You know, why I'm invited is, is that through the Association of Women Surgeons, I'm the co-chair of a, a task force called the Heat for She Task Force. And what we've done is, is that we've gone out there, looked at best practices, you know, done generated peer review publications. Uh, the second peer review publication uh, was just uh, published yesterday in JAMA Surgery uh, by uh, Dr. Amalia Cochran, Dr. Argumen Sals. Argumen was a, obviously a guest on your podcast earlier this year. Yeah. Um, and Dr. Madeline Tours, uh, and they're talking about dealing with microaggression. So that peer review publication just got published yesterday. 
uh, and in March of this year uh, was uh, the group at Hopkins uh, got uh, evidence together and they wrote a publication that came out in the Journal of the American College of Surgeons uh, about reducing implicit bias. And so our task force, the goal for us is that we look and see where's the evidence uh, you know, in the surgical world, and we're just sharing best practices. And so that's how I got invited to the stage. Uh, I believe it's one of the reasons I got invited to the stage to really just participate on that. So that's the Women in Medicine Summit on September 28th and 21st. In October is our annual meeting for the Association of Women Surgeons. And so there's a, an interesting story there of how I got involved with the Association of uh, Women Surgeons. Um, uh, what happened is that several years ago, Mark, um, me and my uh, incredible brilliance um, ended up arriving at the annual meeting for the American College of Surgeons a day early. <laughs> How I did that, I have no idea. Uh, I arrived a day early and suddenly realized I didn't need to be there on Saturday. My first activity was only Sunday morning. And so I reached out to my, one of my uh, close friends, uh, Dr. Amalia Cochran, uh, who's, at, uh, who's a burn surgeon at Ohio State University. And I reached out to Amalia and said, hey, Amalia, um, I kind of screwed up. I'm here a day early. What are you doing right now? Do you want to you know, hang out or go to dinner? And she said, well, I'm, I, I'm going to attend the annual meeting of the Association of Women Surgeons. And I was like, oh, great, Amalia, no problem. I'll just catch up with you later in the day. And she immediately was like, uh, no, Tom, you're going to join me at this meeting. And I was like, I am. Awesome. <laughs> I, guess I love I it. That's a growth <laughs> so mindset. Yes. So you can imagine this. So I walk in the room, and I think I'm one of two men in the entire audience. Um, and of course, it was you know when you walk in and you, you, everybody can sense when every eyeball is on you. <laughs> the room you walk into a room and you're like looking up and it's like oh, and so I just kind of sat in the back and listened to that day and was just kind of hearing about all the different efforts. And, and this is a very touching moment. At the end of that day, conference, Dr. Mary Brand, who you know very well, I you know, do. pediatric surgeon at Baylor, um, stood up and said, you know, I just want to openly say, I really appreciate the fact that Tom took his time to come and attend our meeting. That's great. And I, and I was awestruck. Like, First of all, because really? Mary Brandt saying that, like I'd get all nervous, probably. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, for the listeners, I mean, Mary Brandt she is, is a, a giant yeah. in the world of pediatric oh, surgery. For I mean, sure. I, I mean, it's like everybody knows who Dr. Mary Brandt is. Absolutely. And we had connected a little bit on social media beforehand, so I knew who she was, and she knew who I was. Yeah, yeah. But for some, for somebody of that stature to just say, oh, man. you know, we appreciate you coming here, and so that initial foray that, you know, my accidentally stumbling into that annual meeting led to these efforts that I'm doing in partnership with the Association of Women Surgeons. And what it told me was, you know, what, what did I learn from Mary on that day? You know, the grace that she showed to say, you know what, I love the fact that other people are coming to hear about our organization. Let me reach out and make sure to make them feel welcome. That's what she did to, for me that day. And, and I think that that's where, that's the missing piece, Mark, we're missing right now in these diversity efforts. You know, everybody's aware that diversity is a good thing. I hope everybody is aware that diversity is a good thing. Uh, but diversity in gender, diversity in thought, those are all good things. But we're not doing a good job of doing that next step. And what do I mean by that? When people show up who are different than you, that we're not making that next step of making sure we make them feel welcome. That is so difficult to do. 
But that's the where the work needs to be done yeah. in terms of where we are right now. I, I agree with you, and I think it's great that these conferences it's great that these studi- it's great that these conferences are in existence. It's great that they're growing. You know, you and I follow a lot of the same people on social media, so we see them talking about it. We see the enthusiastic response that they get. I think it's amazing that you get to be there, and obviously our expectation of you is that you'll be live tweeting the behind-the-scenes stuff and the takeaways so that we can learn. Because sometimes conferences are hard to get to, and you know, just to kind of get us back to how we started the show, right? We would have missed these conferences completely as recently as just a couple of years ago. Now, Correct. we're going to follow along. We're going to follow the hashtags and we're going to look for what you have to say at the end of the at the end of the conference and the the video clips and when you're on stage in a panel, we're going to watch that stuff. So it makes for a much more rich experience. I think it's fantastic that you're doing it. I'm glad it's you that's going to be able to do it. I really appreciate you coming on the show. It's an exciting time like you said. This is this is a great time. We have the opportunity to really make things different. You are some of the really powerful rocket fuel in that, and this has just been a blast talking with you. No, Mark, you are incredibly kind. And uh, and to you and to the listeners of this podcast, all of you are doing important work. And the reason why I say that is a, a listener to this podcast, I can only imagine who that person is. That person is somebody who's saying, I want to learn more about different topics uh, I mean, the name of your podcast, Explore the Space. You're looking to reach out from what we know to explore the unknown and, and to learn about the unknown and then see how we can learn from this and then better ourselves. I mean, I, I believe that's probably what you're striving for for this podcast. That's exactly right. I, I, I absolutely love everything that you're doing. And, uh, you know, it's just an incredible honor to participate. Uh, no, this has been a blast, uh, Mark. And, uh, you know, we hope to continue the work and I uh, hope to share what I've learned. And uh, obviously, hopefully, we'll continue the journey together. Absolutely. Tom, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Explore the Space. Visit us on our website, explorethespaceshow.com. And please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show. And you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com.